Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, graciously keep from us all adversity, so that unhindered in mind and body alike, we may pursue in freedom of heart the things that are yours. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the second book of Maccabees. There were seven brothers who were arrested with their mother. The king tried to force them to taste pig's flesh, which the law forbids, by torturing them with whips and scourges. One of them, acting as spokesman for the others, said, What are you trying to find out from us? We are prepared to die rather than break the laws of our ancestors. With his last breath, the second brother exclaimed, Inhuman fiend! You may discharge us from this present life, but the king of the world will raise us up, since it is for his laws that we die, to live again forever. After him they amused themselves with a third, who on being asked for his tongue, promptly thrust it out and boldly held out his hands, with these honourable words. It was heaven that gave me these limbs, for the sake of his laws I disdain them, From him I hope to receive them again. The king and his attendants were astounded at the young man's courage and his utter indifference to suffering. When this one was dead, they subjected the fourth to the same savage torture. When he neared his end, he cried, Ours is the better choice to meet death at men's hands, yet relying on God's promise that we shall be raised up by him, whereas for you... There can be no resurrection, no new life. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. Lord, hear a cause that is just. Pay heed to my cry. Turn your ear to my prayer. No deceit is on my lips. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. I kept my feet firmly in your paths. There was no faltering in my steps. I am here and I call. You will hear me, O God. Turn your ear to me. Hear my words. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. Guard me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. As for me, in my justice I shall see your face, and be filled when I awake with the sight of your glory. Lord, when your glory appears, my joy will be full. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God, our Father, who has given us his love and through his grace such inexhaustible comfort and such sure hope 
comfort you and strengthen you in everything good that you do or say. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message may spread quickly and be received with honour as it was among you. And pray that we may be preserved from the interference of begotted and evil people. For faith is not given to everyone, but the Lord is faithful and he will give you strength and guard you from the evil one. And we, in the Lord, have every confidence that you are doing and will go on doing all that we tell you. May the Lord turn your hearts towards the love of God and the fortitude of Christ. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. Glory and kingship be his forever and ever. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Sadducees, those who say that there is no resurrection, approached Jesus and they put this question to him. Master, we have it from Moses in writing that if a man's married brother dies childless, the man must marry the widow to raise up children for his brother. Well then, there were seven brothers. The first, having married a wife, died childless. The second, and then the third, married the widow. And the same with all seven. They died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman herself died. Now, at the resurrection, to which of them will she be wife, since she had been married to all seven? Jesus replied, The children of this world take wives and husbands. But those who are judged worthy of a place in the other world and in the resurrection from the dead do not marry, because they can no longer die, for they are the same as the angels. And being children of the resurrection, they are sons of God. And Moses himself implies that the dead rise again in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all men are in fact alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the Gospel which we have today is a fairly complex one. Um, And maybe its meaning isn't so immediately plain. So it might be helpful to fill in some of the background information and see where it takes us. So... In the Gospels, we hear quite a bit about Pharisees, um, and they were a religious group within Judaism who were principally, let's call them lay people. They were the non-priestly class, and they were rigidly faithful to the law of Moses. Now, being lay people, their religious worship was dominated by the local synagogues in each little town. The origin of the Pharisees, in fact, goes back to the time of the first reading which we have today. We hear in that first reading about the Maccabean revolt against the tyrant Antiochus Epiphanes. And this wicked king who ruled over Judea and Galilee around 170 BC 
tried to impose Greek culture on the Jews and, in turn, tried to suppress Jewish culture and religious practice. So, as we heard in the first reading, this poor Jewish mother and her sons are being forced to break the law of Moses and to eat pig's meat. Well, the Pharisees are the descendants of those brave Jews who stood up to Antiochus Epiphanes and who remained faithful to the law of Moses. And as a consequence, the Pharisees carried a lot of respect and a lot of authority because they were the ones who remained faithful during times of persecution. Well, the Sadducees, on the other hand, were a different religious group within Judaism. But instead of being lay, as we say, um, they were largely a priestly and aristocratic group. And because of this, their religious worship was largely dominated by the temple in Jerusalem. So the temple as opposed to the local synagogue in each town. So there's quite a significant rivalry between these two groups in Judaism. The Sadducees are the nobility associated with the priesthood, and they're the wealthy and the powerful. Whereas the Pharisees, they're more grassroots, they're local, they're lay. But the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees wasn't just a question of origin or wealth. There was also a fairly significant theological difference as well. At the time of Christ, the Jewish people had the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these first five books formed the law of Moses. And according to the Sadducees, this was the full extent of God's revelation to humanity. And because of this, they might have been considered predominantly conservative in their attitude. The only source of biblical revelation are the writings of Moses, and that's it. Now, the Pharisees, however, also believed in another source of revelation, which they called the tradition of the elders. The Pharisees understood that biblical revelation didn't just finish with Moses, but it, it was something that continued to develop. And so they understood God's revelation as including the prophets, the historical and the wisdom books that we now call the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, this is no small difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because the Sadducees only understand Scripture as an interpretation of Moses' first five books, whereas the Pharisees understood the Scriptures and theology as something that was developing and clarifying. Right, <laughs> I hope you're still with me. This is where today's Gospel comes in. Because Jesus is being dragged into an old argument about the resurrection and the body and the afterlife. You see, if we read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there aren't too many explicit references to life after death. And the earliest conceptions of what happens to us after death was that we simply returned to the dust from which we came. And this is the belief of the Sadducees. Yet the Pharisees maintained that Though there's evidence for this in the scriptures, God's revelation is something that developed, and our understanding of God's plan for humanity has unfolded throughout the history of Israel. Because the Pharisees looked beyond the Torah to the writings of the elders, they began to see the promise of eternal life and the resurrection of the body. And we can see this faith emerging in the first reading today. 
Now, remembering that the Pharisees have their heritage in the Maccabees, who stood up to the tyranny of Antiochus Epiphanes, we hear these words coming from the sons of this brave mother. With his last breath, we heard, the second brother exclaimed, Inhuman fiend, you may discharge us from this present life, but the king of the world will raise us up, since it is for his laws that we die, to live again forever. Now, that's a clear reference to life after death. This son doesn't believe that he'll simply return to the dust from which he was made. God will grant him life because he's faithful to the law of Moses. And then the third brother says something similar, right? After him, we read, they amused themselves with the third, who on being asked for his tongue, promptly thrust it out and boldly held out his hands with these honourable words. It was heaven that gave me these limbs. For the sake of his laws, I disdain them. From him, I hope to receive them again. Now, there's certainly no questioning the bravery of these young boys. But we can see that they are firm believers in the resurrection of the body. So, there's a pitched battle that's being waged between the Pharisees who say that the biblical development of Revelation shows the clear teaching of the resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees, who say that there's no evidence for this teaching in the law of Moses. So, the Lord Jesus is being dragged into this debate by the Sadducees, and they've dreamt up this rather ridiculous scenario where a woman has a series of seven husbands. Now, in the law of Moses, in the Torah, there was something that was called the Leveret Law. And this law was actually fairly common among Semitic peoples, including the Israelites, and it stated that if a man died and his wife had not borne him a son, then the man's brother was obliged to take her as his wife in order to have children with her. Now, it seems a bit creepy to us, um, and I suppose it is, (laughs) but there was a kind of logic behind it. If there was no life after death, then the only way that a person could live on and be remembered was if they had posterity, if they had kids. And it was a great curse to die without children because it meant that your line would die. And all through the Old Testament, we can see people suffering a great shame because they're childless. So it was an act of mercy for the brother of the deceased to take the widow of his wife because any children conceived would be considered to be children of the first dead husband. And his line of descendants would continue, and he wouldn't be lost for all eternity. So, in the scenario that the Sadducees construct, this leveret law is applied seven times, and the widow herself dies childless. And what the Sadducees claim is that they've all returned to the dust from which they came. And the question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection of the dead, is just meant to highlight how absurdly ridiculous the resurrection of the dead really is. They're not asking a genuine question. They're making an argument that says, and isn't this nuts? Well, we don't need to repeat what Jesus' opinion is about the resurrection of the dead, he himself will be the first to rise. He himself will be the definitive indication of God's promise. 
right there on Easter Sunday. But the mistake that the Sadducees make is that they imagine that eternal life will be an extension of the kind of life that we lead now. We'll be raised up to our present earthly existence. So, which man is the woman's husband? Jesus points out to them that we'll be raised to a new pitch of existence, where the concerns of marriage and family are kind of left behind. Husbands won't take wives and wives won't take husbands because they don't need to secure their continued existence in their children. No, because they'll have the fullness of life in God. Notice something interesting. Remember how the Sadducees only recognised the first five books, the books of Moses, as being the revelation of God? Well, Jesus knows this full well, and so he quotes Moses to the Sadducees in order to support his argument. Remember what he said. He said, Moses himself implies that the dead rise again in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all men are in fact alive. Cop that, Sadducees. Jesus is no fool. Now, Hopefully these background details help us to see what's going on in this rather strange gospel text. But I haven't told you all this in order to give a kind of like scripture class. Gee, here are some interesting things. No. I think it's important to point out the beauty of the conclusion that Jesus comes to. He says that eternal life is indicated by the fact that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jesus teaches us that we can believe in the resurrection of the body because we belong to God and because God is our protector. The phrase that Jesus uses to describe the Father is that he is God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And this was a phrase that was often used by the Israelites to describe the fact that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had been taken by God as his people, that he was their protector. And Jesus' argument is that since God has made himself the protector of his people, he would protect his people even from the greatest enemy, which is death. He'll give them life because he is God of the living, not God of the dead. I think that gives us tremendous cause for hope. But let me just point to one thing. The Lord Jesus You know, he puts his money where his mouth is. He knows that this is who God is. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so, what is he able to do? In the face of death, with his last breaths, he's able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he does so knowing that God is the God of the living, not of the dead. He does so knowing that the Father wills life for his Son. Remember what he says to the Sadducees. Being children of the resurrection, they are sons of God. When the Lord Jesus invites us to trust God and to hope in him, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself already. 
Well, during the month of November, we pray with renewed focus for the souls of the faithful departed. And in the gospel, we hear Jesus present God as the God of our ancestors, the protector of our ancestors. So let's commend their souls into his merciful hands. Let's thank God for revealing to us the great hope that appears in Christ's risen body. And let's implore God's grace and protection over all those who have gone before us into death. We belong to him. He's our protector. Because he's God not of the dead but of the living. For to him all men are in fact alive. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.